Hi everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Spectrum Podcast, your safe space for LGBTQ plus stories, voices and dialogue. I'm your host, Jamie Nones, and for National Coming Out Day, I thought I'd share my own coming out stories and experiences about coming out at 15 in school, coming out to a relative at 25, coming out to a Catholic nun once, and my journey to finally being open and out in the workplace. So for this episode, my friend, filmmaker Charmaine Wong, interviews me instead. What's interesting is that Charmaine actually interviewed me for her documentary called Pink IC more than 15 years ago. In her documentary, she explored whether the LGBTQ community has a place within the larger Singaporean identity, and her film was featured in Short Circuit, Singapore's first LGBTQ film festival in 2006. No one ever knew I was in that film, so I thought it was kind of poetic for Charmaine to interview me for this podcast now. In this episode, I also talk about the hiring discrimination I faced early in my career and, for example, getting eyeballed top-to-toe in job interviews and how I felt I had to conceal my gender identity in my first job, all of which I've never shared publicly before until now. I also share some of my social experiments I used to do in my early 20s just for the fun of it, where I would dress as a girlier girl versus dressing as more of a tomboy and observe the difference in the way I was treated by strangers in society. It was a very interesting period of my life and thankfully, navigating all of it got a lot easier along the way. I also talk about the importance of seeing LGBTQ plus characters and representation in the media and my hopes and dreams for the podcast. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Charmaine. Today I have with me Charmaine Wong. We used to go to school together, university in Perth, many, many, many years ago. And um, first got to know her because she was shooting a documentary called Pink IC about the state of um, LGBT in Singapore. Is that right? Or specifically um, lesbians? Specifically lesbians okay. and um, how they feel uh, as the daughters of Singapore. Right. Okay. So, so she was looking for people to interview and then I signed up. But at that time, what was interesting is because I wasn't out. So um, I was like in the shadow and she even masked my voice and all that. So um, personally, I've come a long way in my own journey of self-acceptance. And it's, I find it kind of poetic that today she's going to be interviewing me on my journey. Yes. So yes, thanks sure. for being here, Charmaine. No worries. So let's start. Yes. Uh, when did you first discover you were gay? So um, I first discovered I was gay, I think, when I was eight years old. Um, because I had a crush on a girl. She was, um, she was in primary six, I was in primary two. And I, I knew that, hey, this doesn't seem very right. So um, I knew that there was something a little bit different about me, even from the age of eight. Okay, yeah. so upon knowing that, uh, what, what was on your mind, you know? Mm, okay, so I think it was just a lot of confusion because I had no idea like what's going on, why am I feeling this way? It doesn't seem to be like the right thing to be feeling. Okay. Yeah. But you were eight then, so how did you know that was not, you know, right? I don't know. I was very precocious from, from young. So I used to like ponder about life and 
the my existence is even real I like lie on my bed look at my ceiling and I'm like am I really here or is this just a dream you know that sort of stuff so <laughs> even when I was a kid yeah so so I think a lot so I'm very introspective so um I I knew that it was it was, there was something different about it yeah okay yeah. so um what were some of your struggles okay you know? so so I knew it was different because like when I when I watched like movies um and then it's like a guy and girl scene. I always mm. wanted to be the guy. So right. but I know that I'm not a guy. So so that stark contrast was like okay, mm, something doesn't feel right about this picture. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of how how do you think you identified and um how did that impact on, you know, your your journey mm. towards finding yourself? Okay, you mean how I I identified at that time? Mm. Okay. So I think there was just a lot of confusion for many years. Okay. Um there was a lot of trying to hide who trying to hide that aspect of myself. So um and hoping that my friends would not find out. So really really like closing myself in if that makes sense. Um trying not to be not to show like any giveaways that hey maybe I might be attracted to this girl or a friend or something like that. Um, because I didn't want to freak any of my friends out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the biggest fear. All through your life, you were closeted, or was it quite obvious that uh, mm, okay. you were queer? Right. So, so I I've I've known that I was I was kind of queer since I was like a kid. Um, my mom always tells stories about me when I was like two or three, and I would hate to be put in a dress I would cry and bawl my eyes out I always wanted to wear like pants and jeans and, and, and I would play with like I wouldn't play with Barbies I hated Barbie dolls I would play with like He-Man and Boys Toys and what was interesting is that I think from the age of 5 actually I like when my brother and my dad used to go around the garden without their shirt on mm-hmm. bare bodied I actually really envied that and I wanted to be like them so I again but I couldn't because I'm a girl. So okay. even though I had nothing to show at that time but, but I just knew that okay I'm not supposed to dress like that and, and also so intrinsically like I kind of already knew and I kinda of already felt like something's not quite right. Yeah. yeah. So um so basically that was also external, the expression of your queerness was kind of external throughout your life. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah. how did uh how did your family or you know your school or okay. even when you when you got out to work yeah what were some of the reactions okay so family wise growing up um my mom would purposely try to make me wear a dress so she would buy like the most girly most frilly most like pompous kind of like I don't know what you call it but like the sleeves are like puffy as hell right and then um so I would have very very limited amount of clothes <laughs> to use and I wouldn't have much choice about it sometimes and so that was actually very very uh, depressing and um, so I, I actually tried to wear like hand-me-downs from my cousin because he was a boy and then that's how I kind of like survived that mode um, yeah and then so that was that was like my family time growing up uh, in school, in school, I try to keep a low profile. Okay. Um, my coming out probably was in like sec three when I decided to cut my hair short. 
not as short as this, but it was it was quite drastic. Mm. So yeah, so so in school, um, you know how the labels go like okay, if you have short hair, you're a girl. They call you a butch, right? Mm-hmm. So so I would be one one of the butches is what they would call them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, so the butchers used to get a lot of trouble in school. <laughs> I don't know if it was the same in your school. Uh, <laughs> probably yeah, because they yeah. they they stand out. Yeah, yeah. So so we're, we 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 stand out as deviants, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, they they used to get into a lot of trouble. They always just get called out over small things and all. Um, there was a lot of I think shaming in okay. school, and for for this group, and for me, I wanted to avoid that so I would try to keep a low profile make sure that I didn't get into trouble make sure I didn't like do the normal naughty stuff to warrant getting into trouble so I kept a very very low profile and surprisingly interestingly I actually coasted through school without getting like publicly shamed a lot okay, okay. for mm-hmm. being of that identity yeah okay. did the same thing happen when you entered the workforce so I have a couple of interesting stories to share with regards to that, right? Okay. Um, so what's okay? So when I when I first tried to get a job, at first, I was wearing like okay a man shirt, man pants, and men's shoes lah. Mm. And I tried to apply for a couple of jobs. There was one occasion where I was sitting in it was a it was a publishing company. Okay. Um, I was sitting in the waiting room and then the moment the editor came in, I saw the way she looked at me top to toe and I knew straight away that, you know what, like, uh, there's some bias right there already. Don't bother with the interview. <laughs> and, and, and straight away, like, you just know that, okay, mm. this is probably not going to go very well. Okay. And during the interview, she actually asked me questions like, oh, okay, so if you have to attend a work event, like one of our advertisers, and you have to wear makeup, mm. how would you feel about that? So straight away, I knew where she was going with it, right? And how I answered was that um, it wouldn't be ideal, mm-hmm. but I was honest. And I was like, but if I have to, I would lah. Okay. okay. This was in the early 2000s. So obviously, it was a completely different world from now, right? Um, so anyway, suffice to say, I didn't want the job either. Okay. Alright. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, it, w- it wasn't the right fit. Lah. The role that they had also was not what I wanted anyway. Um, and then I got another another job. Um, it was an events company, mm-hmm. and then I I secured the job. I and then on my first day, I showed up. The boss actually made a comment, and he said, "So I was wearing a shirt and pants," and he said, "Oh, next time don't dress like a kid." Okay. So I was like, "What the fuck, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, what do you mean by that?" But I knew what he meant, right? Okay. And then I told myself, okay, you know what? I don't want to work in an environment where I'm obviously not going to be accepted, number one. And then I'm going to be miserable here, right? Mm. So I just didn't go back after that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was really like, a few and I'm not going to go back, you mm. know? So, and then the third interview that I, that I went for, I decided to do a little social experiment. Okay. So I wore the same... It was actually like a ladies blazer from like G two thousand at the time, All right. and but because okay my well, how long was my hair like it wasn't like this it wasn't so obviously like a boy but it was short lah mm. okay so I wore the same blazer I wore pants and I wore shoes and then um I went f- but the only difference that I did was I put on lipstick that day okay just okay. just for the heck of it I think my hair is a bit more like yours 
Because at that time, longish. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I wore lipstick and straight away I got the job. Okay. So okay. I was like, in hell, you know, like clearly, um, like so, so the the message that I got is that, I have to play this game. Right. If I want to get anywhere in life, I have to play this game, and I have to pretend that I fit in, or mm. try to look like I fit in. And that that was the message that I got very very clear. So for a few years, I kind of tried that out, and then at work also, I tried not to be too obvious, and I didn't um in the dressing. So I, and I tried to kind of like hide it, trying to conceal it a little bit, not to the extent of okay, like totally like wearing skirts and everything, but like just I didn't let it be so obvious lah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so basically, when. Perhaps share with us your your journey of coming out and okay. not fitting in. <laughs> okay, so I didn't have to like officially come out by actually saying it, but what uh, the act of cutting my hair at sec three was like my coming out moment. Okay. Yeah. So um so of course like in school and all, I went to an all girls school so then everyone started talking and all that kind of stuff okay. right you know and then suddenly there's this like drastic change, so. Um, on one hand, it was a little bit fun, <laughs> because then you get like a lot of attention from the girls suddenly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um, but on the other hand, it was also awkward because then some friends were like, I I I don't know how to how to say, but they didn't feel comfortable maybe. Okay. Yeah. So you could sense that suddenly they were like, you know, like, what's going on and all that. Um, yeah, because I think. Uh, until that time, I had not vocalized that I like girls to my friends even. Not okay. really, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, as an adult, mm. um, after having endured, you know, all these um, discrimination from, from, you know, people uh, from the workforce, yeah. um, did it ever get better? And if it did, uh, you know, how did you start accepting yourself or mm. being comfortable with yourself? Okay. So after, so after that job, with the one that I wore lipstick at, yeah. and I got that job, I was there for about an, a year. It was another events company. Then I moved on to a writer position in a magazine. Mm-hmm. So, in the media, like thankfully, it was a little bit more open, and it because you know when you're in a creative creative industry is a little bit better. I think there's more tolerance, there's more acceptance as well. Okay. So um, it wasn't so. Ob- like it wasn't so frowned upon, so I started dressing more authentically. I feel, yeah, and I was very very happy at that job. Now, as someone who identifies as trans male, it's been challenging to find a high quality men's barber and grooming salon that's as inclusive and welcoming as Sultans of Shave. For this reason, Sultans of Shave has become my quintessential barbering destination. It revolutionizes one of the oldest trades with its contemporary style as a modern-day gentleman's barber offering impeccable shaves, fabulous fades and deluxe cuts. And I just love the passion and precision its barbers wield. It's become my personal sanctuary because I'm all about the art of grooming. And if you'd like to also get it suave at Sultans of Shave, you can save $5 off your first appointment when you book online with my code JAMIE5. And you'll be in good hands, I promise.
at 13, but was there like a really 15, formal, I would say. 15. Mm, yeah, yeah. Was there like a really formal coming out as an adult? Or? Oh, okay. So there's one funny story that I have. Like, with, okay, with my, with my parents, I didn't have to formally come out because they could tell from my dressing. Okay. They could tell from my, you know, and all that. But like, so I lived with my cousin and I thought th- that she didn't know. Mm. So I like when I, I think when I, when I was 25, I decided that um, I, I, was, I was doing a personal development course at that time. Yeah. So authenticity was a very, very key pillar in that course. And I felt like I needed to be authentic and open. And so I decided to like come out. Okay. And then we were, we were, we, so we went out for dinner and then I was like I have something to tell you and then she was <laughs> like what then I was like I was also building up building up building up to it right it was so difficult for the words to come out and then she was like you're pregnant and I was like no no and then I started building up again and then she was like what you're on drugs and I was like no <laughs> it's like it can only be do- these two things right and then finally I was like I'm gay I like girls then she was like, yeah, I knew. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's interesting, right, is that I think for us, we feel like so much shame around it and we try to hide ourselves. And I think a lot of times people already know. They already can tell. And the fact that they're not like chucking you out of the house means there's some, some level of acceptance, you know. Okay. But a lot of times it's our own journey to acceptance yeah and I think you asked also like how did I finally accept I mean it's been like 30 over years of feeling that sort of shame because of what society tells you is wrong what your religion tells you is wrong okay it's, I think it's more of those two things um, family I've been I, I mean it's been it's been it's been pretty okay family wise I mean the, the general level of the acceptance is a lot higher I think in my case so I'm quite blessed of course there were struggles with my mum when I was younger mm. um, but she's I mean they, they get over stuff like I feel after okay. a while so yeah but I think the most important is your self acceptance actually that's, mm-hmm. that's the most important thing so I'm not sure if I should really share this because my true acceptance came um, it was a spiritual encounter that I had okay so I know like not everyone obviously believes in God and all that kind of stuff but for me I still go to church and all and um, and there was a lot of conflict in trying to reconcile my faith with how I feel and obviously feeling like I'm wrong or my being is wrong so so um I mean I'll do a lot of like self reflection and, and, and that kind of stuff and um I went for a retreat at the um Franciscan Missionary of Mary. Okay. I don't know if I should say this, but anyway, it it just illustrates that what's interesting. So so I the nun she was like maybe in her seventies mm-hmm. and she was like kinda old, kinda but and she was really, really nice and kind towards me and it was a solo retreat, just one-on-one, and she's like the spiritual advisor, that sort of thing. And then, um, during one session with her, I decided to kind of, I know it's, it's wrong now, but to kind of test her mm-hmm. and tell her that I am not straight. Okay. 
could see her reaction and it was really kind of cool because she said she didn't judge me immediately so I felt very like I felt number one that was the first thing that I appreciated mm -hmm. that she didn't just straight away judge me and instead she told me she asked me what do I feel and do I feel it's wrong then my, my, my answer was mm, it's society and religion that tells me it's wrong okay. you know but how can it be wrong if I'm supposed to believe that God made me this way right so I mean of course it's a very very dicey topic and a lot of people have, have opinions on it um, but my personal experience so that was very interesting and then I don't know if it was the same retreat or another one at a later date but there was one moment where I, I went into the adoration room. Mm -hmm. So in, in Catholic churches, they have this thing called an adoration room where the Eucharist, which is the host, is exposed. And um, it's very interesting because I stepped into the room and even before I could settle myself down, there was nobody else in there. Even before I sat down, I just had this message coming to me that I should accept myself. I think I was, there was a couple of, just only like three years ago, and it just kept coming to me and coming to me, and I was, I started arguing with that voice, okay. because number one, I, I am still kind of skeptical, there, there's still some skepticism somewhere, right, and I remember arguing with that voice, and um, because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that I wanted to hear. So I was arguing and debating and rationalizing the whole thing out and like in my mind saying like, yeah, but it's wrong, you know, the Bible says it's wrong and all this kind of stuff. But, it, the, but the voice just kept coming to me stronger and stronger and to the point that eventually I just, I, and I, I was breaking down and I just surrendered because the message that I got was very clear that basically what he was trying to tell me was that he made me the way that I am mm. and it's time for me to accept myself and and that was like that was the moment that everything changed for me up until that point I was still very very closed I was still very like trying to hide this aspect of myself I mean I, I couldn't hide it in terms of being because of the way I dress but it was not something that I was open about it was not something that I talked about. Um, there was still a lot of sh self-imposed shame around the whole topic. So that was a turning point for me. And after that, everything changed because I, I really did start to accept myself. And because of that, I opened up as a person. And I wasn't so like close and trying to hide away from people and stuff like that. And as a result, I also like, I was willing to just be me you know mm. and put myself out there yeah okay so um that's very interesting like <laughs> like it's a literal <laughs> epiphany <laughs> yeah so um then what led you to um create this podcast that we're having now mm. um and what objectives you know what okay. hopes and dreams did you right. have on, for, for okay. this yeah so i mean i've spent 30 over years of my life feeling that um, I'm a wrongness, you know, feeling a lot of shame and also knowing a lot of peers who feel this way as well 
And then of course, living in a so-called conservative society, um, and then facing the discrimination and marginalization that a lot of us have faced. Um, so after 30 over years, and I decided, so, so the, the turning point, right, was that after being able to accept myself, then I realized like, hey, you know what, like, yeah, I am a human being, you know, why should I be discriminated against or marginalized and all that? Um, why should I be denied the right to love, for example, and all that? Um, and before that, maybe I bought into that whole narrative on some level. So, but, but again, you know, most of us, we complain about it. We're not happy about it. Um, we, but we don't actually do something about it. Or the activists that do, I feel may actually, they're pushing a certain agenda. And because of that, as we've seen in the media, there's a lot of pushback as well, right? So I feel like I wanted to create this platform to really just encourage some dialogue and some compassion and understanding and empathy for what we as individuals go through. And I, I, I hope that people like in mainstream society can see beyond the label and not be so quick to judge and see, that, see the human being beyond the outlook or the label, number one. Hey guys, as we all know, there's so much going on in the world today and we're all dealing with a lot of challenges just trying to get through this pandemic. So I'd like to take a moment to share with you about Safe Space, an organization that connects users with counselors, including LGBT-friendly counselors, for online and offline counseling sessions. If you're feeling stressed, burnt out, or having relationship or marriage problems and you need to talk to someone for help, don't hesitate to reach out to their professional therapists at safespace.sg to book a counseling session and improve your mental well-being today. And I find what's happening in the landscape right now is that it's become actually even more, uh, even more divisive. There's two camps and then one against the other camp, that sort of thing. And what I really want to create with this podcast is to create more, uh, a more of a, I would say, I don't know if I would say neutral, but more of an objective platform for dialogue from both sides, actually. That's what I actually want. And I want to, number one, give the LGBTQ community a voice to share what our struggles and our personal our personal struggles have been, what are some of our journeys, how have we, you know, sometimes it's even about survival, you know, how, how we're actually even still here through all the challenges and all. And I hope that the mainstream society starts to see more clearly that we are more than uh, the stereotype, number one. And I want, I want them to see that we are I want, them to, I want them to see the human behind the label. Um, I want to create, and I'm, I'm hoping this dialogue will create more compassion, more empathy, and more understanding of, of our community. You know, but on the flip side, I also want to speak to the conservative parties as well. So, um, 
you know, I, I would be very happy to have, say, the, the head of the Catholic Church to, to come on the show. I'll be very happy to have um, even the head of maybe Muiz come on the show as well to give their views so that we also can understand where they are coming from and why they feel that way. I might even want to have, like, say, a conservative parent who's, who has a teenager who's gay. And I want to hear what are their struggles, why, what are their internal struggles of trying to accept their child. And, and so what I really want to do is, is create dialogue between the two, the two, the two sides, really. Okay. And, um, so how has this journey of producing this podcast been so far? So uh, who have you approached? You know, were they forthcoming? Mm, okay. So it's interesting because like on one hand, um, some, of, some of them like immediately say yes. And then on the other hand, there's a bunch who, um, they're very nice because like, of course, I reach out to my personal network at first and they, they have a way of declining in a way that doesn't say an outright no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very, very polite way of trying to maybe um, segue the conversation. Okay. okay, so then I know, okay, there's a no-go, like that sort of thing. Um, but I've, I've been very encouraged because I feel like there have been like, so for example, there have been some straight allies that, that I've interviewed and then I want to understand like what drives them, what motivates them to be so passionate about a cause that actually they have no vested interest in, you know. Um, I've also interviewed the founder of the Tea Project, Jun Chua. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the founder of Singapore's first homeless shelter. That was a very interesting interview and then... Um, yeah, so we're just at the beginning of this journey and I really hope that we can share more stories to, you know, so that people really understand and then also so that, um, say, the, the, young, the young LGBT people who are struggling to accept themselves will feel less alone, you know, because this, this is an issue. I mean, as we know, like a lot of teens internationally commit suicide and all that because of... of of you know just grappling with with this and this personal acceptance of yourself yeah so so i hope that they you know they could feel less alone that hey you know a lot of people have got are going through it have gone through it and they've come up stronger on the other end as well yeah okay and um for this episode uh, you've put the spotlight on yourself mm-hmm. uh, why do you feel it's necessary or you know important to actually share your story Okay, so, yeah, I was in two minds about this because number one, I don't like being in the spotlight, actually. Um, I'm very uncomfortable. Um, I don't like being in the camera, in front of the camera. But I felt that it's important because I feel like, I really truly feel everything happens for a reason. And I feel that my journey, my story can help inspire others um, because I've gone through so much to get to where I am today. Um, this place of of really accepting myself and being open and out about it um and then the other thing is that you know the is it this gender issue sexuality issue is a very complex thing there are so many gender identities and profiles and some are more obvious than others like like me (laughs) so like for example okay in the entertainment and business landscape there are some gay women but many are not as obvious in their appearance and um, mainstream mainstream people don't know that actually they are and then a lot of them are hidden and silent about it right 
so <clears throat> whereas for me I feel like I look like a total tomboy and I'm often mistaken as a guy because of my hairstyle mm. um, but at the same time I've, I have achieved a certain level of success in the Singapore media industry um, many of my articles have appeared in the newspapers and magazines over the span of my 18 year career so I feel like I need or I want to use my position as an independent journalist to shed light on this topic and you know and I also want I want I want to inspire the young the young kids that may look like me mm. to also for them to see that hey you know you can make something of yourself even though you look like this or even though you face a lot of discrimination even though you don't fit into the mold of what a society says a girl should look like yeah so, um, what are your hopes for this podcast? Like, uh, you know, interviewees, wish lists, yeah. you know, how do you hope this will, will progress? Okay, so, so I'm, I'm doing this more for like the, the long run and I'm hoping to get everyday Singaporeans to come and share their stories. Uh, male, female, like I mentioned, different gender profiles or gender identities. Um, yeah, so... So also perhaps like say a, a gay kid and their mom and someone who's and, and a mom who's maybe like super anti against it, what have they gone through? And then maybe a mom who has been against it for many, many years and finally came to acceptance. It would be interesting to find out like what her journey has been also. How did she come to, to finally accepting her child like that, right? And I think these are very, very interesting stories that, that we can share because I think almost every person knows someone who's gay somewhere around them, whether it's in family or, or friends, amongst friends or friends of friends. Yeah, so it's really about sharing our stories so that we can create not more diversity actually but just more compassion and empathy for for what our fellow human is going through yeah and and as i mentioned also i would love to have like maybe even you know a minister who has commented on this sort of topic in in the media before to to come on the show and share his views and and yeah you know from a maybe from a different perspective or something um yeah so how do you think the LGBTQI community in Singapore has grown? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how different is it now compared to when you, when you first came out? Okay. So, uh, I think the biggest difference is that our generation didn't have internet then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, that really like... I mean, look, when, when I first realised that I was different... We didn't have internet to know what the hell a lesbian meant, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And like you like I had no idea. It's not something you could look up or something like that. And and you, and not being able to actually put like a name to it created more confusion and more feelings of like something's not right, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the generation right now they're actually very blessed and lucky in some ways mm-hmm. because there's so much more openness. Um you know, in pop culture, there are so many out celebrities now, and yeah. now it's like it's almost like politically incorrect to be, to be, uh, to to not, or to be, 
to be discriminatory. I guess that there are more positive affirmations now, right? Yeah. Compared to you know when yeah, when and then of course, out. of course, like when when shows like the L Word came out, you know, yeah. and that, that our time that was like that was huge, you know. Yeah, I don't know whether that that's a good thing or not, but you know. No, but but the whole point of seeing gay and lesbian characters in the media yeah. actually makes you feel like there's more acceptance. Yes, you know like that we are because, out there yeah you can identify with these characters we can identify with these celebrities and and it it yeah but on the flip side also right the generation today although al- although the gay narrative now is stronger there's more acceptance there's more tolerance but on the flip side there's also because of the internet and social media um, there's a lot of cyberbullying as well mm-hmm. and that's why this is also quite a critical issue because there's still there's still biasness there's still yes. prejudice that still survives and and then be, and and so and now it's spread more because of social media and the internet mm. so so that's the the downside of it yeah okay so um any hopes for the future of the lgbtqi community in singapore well of course the hope as I've been mentioning, is about more compassion and understanding and tolerance, and and really, just just for me, right? It's just so for for society to not be so quick to judge and condemn. Number one, and then you know, if you're talking about like regulations and all that, I mean, it would be great. It would be wonderful. It would be lovely if we could have the same equal rights as like a hetero couple, for example. You know, but. Yeah, maybe you know some say that's very very idealistic, but that would be, that would actually be the ideal. Really, that's exactly what it is. Because I personally know a lot of same sex couples who have left Singapore because they want to start a family. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's very sad. You know, they don't actually want to. They don't want to leave their family. They don't want to leave their their homeland. But they do. They 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 feel like they have no choice but to do so. So, it would be just wonderful if. It, we could truly, truly have an inclusive society. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks, Charmaine. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Spectrum Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing some of my coming out stories and I would love to one day hear yours as well. If coming out is something you're still building up to, I hope these stories help give you that much more courage to own your truth and live your authentic life. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, find me at Jamie Nonis, J-A-M-I-E-N-O-N-I-S. And be sure to follow Spectrum Podcast as well. Find us at Spectrum, S-P-E-Q-T-R-U-M, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Until next time, I pray that you always have the strength and courage to be who you are and know that you are beautiful and loved just the way you are. And remember that no matter what you might be going through, there's always a rainbow around the corner. Stay strong, keep the faith, and take care, my friends.